What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. AT&T connects and ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic so slow, connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Showtime presents The Shy With Love, a special concert event inspired by the original series. Join us in Chicago's very own, perform inspiring songs of strength and love. Sunday, 7, 6 central at theshotwithlove.com. Welcome back to a special quarantine edition. We got a real special guest. What's up with your Brody with the virtual handshake? I'm going to tell y'all something that I never told nobody. I want all the smoke. Welcome back to a special quarantine edition of All the Smoke. Um, not too often do I fan out. I mean, normally mm. I've, I've run across everybody. I've seen everyone. I've, I've had the fortune of meeting everybody. But uh, our next guest, man... I grew up idolizing this dude, man. So it's an honor for me to have him on our show today. Jack, what's happening with you out there in Atlanta? You pay man, your metro it, bill? Your, 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 your Wi-Fi was lagging a little bit. You, you, you cash out the metro bill? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm good now. I'm good now, bro. The weather kind of gloomy out here today, but I, okay. I guess I'm, I'm excited about our guest, so I'm ready to roll. Yeah. We're going to pick your energy up because it's sunny over here and it's sunny where he's at. Man, let's welcome... The one and only Ken Griffey Jr., man. Thank you for your time. No problem. How you guys doing? Uh, we're well. We're well. How about you? The, the real kid. The kid, yeah, the, the kid. Real kid. Yeah. So uh, how I'm was a it? normal person. <laughs> <laughs> so you just turned 50. Uh, congratulations. Happy belated. Obviously not just in Thank November. You. you turned 50. Should yeah. I just turn 40? Jack's on his way up there, too. Um, how, how is, uh, how, how's quarantine life treating you and the family? Uh, quarantine life is okay. Uh, you know, th- I tell everybody this was my lifestyle from being 19 to 35, you know, not mm-hmm. being able to go places. Do I want to go to the mall? Do I want to go to the store? Do I need to pick this up? So uh, for me, it's, it's sitting at the house. I'm used to it. For everybody else, you know, it's tough. You know, you want your kids to be outside. You want them to do things. And, you know, it's tough. I mean, you know, there's people out here dying and, and, and things like that. We just lost a a friend of ours a couple of days ago. So it's been, it's been tough. Sorry for, to hear that. Everybody, but you know, our job is, you know, we play ball, we go work home every now and then, go out to eat, go out 
uh, uh, to a club every now and then, but it's mainly, you know, I'm sitting at my house. No, I've enjoyed it. We, we, we spoke on this before. I mean, you know, Jack and I both, we've been running around a lot with our post-career and our jobs, so it's good to kind of sit back and be able to catch up and relax, re recharge your batteries. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that this is the reason why we have to do it, but I just think overall it was good for everyone just to take a, you know, take a step back and, and, and appreciate things. Baseball, trying to figure out the plan on how, how to return. What you thinking about that, like with all that's going on? It's tougher for, for smaller businesses, big businesses. You know, they've got some leeway with some cash flow. Um, I think that you're going to have to space people out. What they talked about here in Florida is opening up at 25%. Um, maybe you do that. Um, maybe it's the season ticket holders and, you know, a couple other people. Uh, you know, how do you... The biggest thing is, okay, you've got a group of family of six where's the next seating over for them? I think that's going to be, you know, some of the questions that's going to be asked. But I think it can be done, but it's got to be done safely and it's got to be done right because you definitely don't want to see it. I looked at today, there was 50-plus thousand people who have passed in the U.S. Mm -hmm. You just don't want those numbers to, to, Continue to rise. multiply. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think we can all do it, but we've got to do it in a safe way. I agree. But it's just going to be like Little League. Ain't nobody going to be there. You know what I mean? Right. People think that, you know, athletes, they play for the, the money and things like that to fame. We started this journey when it was just your mom and dad and brothers and sisters who went to the game. Mm -hmm. And then as you get older, there was more people. And then the student body when you get to college and then, you know, the but the love for the game hasn't changed. And I think, you know, it's going to be weird at first for the, the players because, you know, we feed off of, you know, feed the fans. The they, mm -hmm. Yeah. You come in there, you know you already got a big game. So the first couple of weeks, I think, is going to be real interesting because the guy's ready to go. I, I talked to D. Gordon lives right down the street from me, and he's ready to go. He's in the cage it's hitting. He's in there doing pool work. I'm over there looking at it like he's crazy because he already weighed like 109 pounds. <laughs> I, tell him that he weigh, I tell him he wastes food all the time. I'm like, dude, you can't gain no weight. And he eats all day. But I think the guys are ready. I know that, you know, people are ready to see live entertainment they're ready to see you know basketball football baseball you know golf i mean they just want to be you know they want to look at something other than what they we've been watching on tv for the last couple months Hey, I want to take a, a second real quick, Ken, and explain your background. This is the best background we've ever had, and you told us a little backstory to it, but can you please tell our fans what the backstory is and, and what we're looking at behind you? Well, uh, I moved in my house. I had one gold glove. Um, you know, it was always the first one. And actually, the first one isn't even in the display case. The first one is out <laughs> where people could touch it. Um, okay. And I had nine boxes. We moved twice, and... Uh, I never opened up any of the boxes. People like, man, you got all these gold gloves. What are you going to do? So I leave for the season. I come back and, you know, my wife and kids are like, yeah, we made it. We got the display thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. I guess that I'm going to have to get a desk now. And I start looking around like I got all this room because, you know, for me, I'm not a display kind of person. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if you look in my closet, I got everything uh, uh, behind doors. Uh, it looked like just a wall. And she was like, no, you've got to display something. My, and, you know, my mom and dad convinced everybody, hey, we got to, you know, display stuff. I got my dad's World Series trophies over here. Mm. Uh, I got the Hall of Fame plaque that they gave me. 
I got two other gold gloves uh, that are sitting there. But and then I got like a seven foot desk with just a computer on it and a phone. <laughs> One of those things that you know, I've, as I got older, I started understanding you know my place in history and things like mm. that. Um, it's still tough um, because you, you play the game not for the accolades, but because you love it. And mm-hmm. if things happen. So I wasn't really one of those people that wanted to display. Like I said, I, I lived in a house and I only opened up the first one because I was, you know, happy. I had my silver slugger, Avery sitting right next to it. Uh, and now, now I got full display. People come in here and go, okay, you, you did all this. I'm like, nah, uh, I ain't doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, hell yeah, I did. At least these are my nine no, gold gloves. Uh, when you come into my house, I mean, look, I say, like there go my silver sluggers up there, um, mm. some other stuff. But I man, turn man, around. Man. There go my gold glove there. There go mm-hmm. my other. But for the most part, like I said, man, I, I try not to display a whole lot of things. Um, you know, and then my kids come over because they want to learn how to play with drones. So they took my drone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, y- and y- y'all know y'all got kids too, so you know that mm-hmm, you, yes, they, they look at yes. things. They be like, uh, "That's mine." I be like, uh, "I ain't even get a chance to unbox one of them." You know, I got the little starter one. I was like, "Cool." All of a sudden, I go on a trip, and now it's flown through my house. <laughs> you know, I was, <laughs> it ain't and I don't no even more. get mad. No, yeah, I don't even get but... mad no more. You know, I just sit there and like, you know, especially now. You know, with the, you know everybody being on lockdown, I just look at stuff that you know things get broken in the house. I'll be like this, okay. Mm. All right. I'm the you same know, way. Yeah, same way. I, you just well, they were playing. My boys are playing football, so. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I got one of those. Um, my bed is ten feet wide, nine feet long. So my kids, my boys, sit at the edge of the bed, and one will jump, and the other one will fake tackle him and hit his leg so he could do flips on the bed. Yeah. Now, now, we used to do that as kids, you know. Yeah, yeah, and my boys, yeah. you know, 26 and 17, they're doing it. And, you know, oh, they're doing, they're doing know, it at their age? They're doing it <laughs> yeah. at their age. They're doing it. They're doing it. They're doing it. You know, uh, even like two weeks ago, my, my youngest, he's running up my wall. I got a padded wall. He's doing backflips onto the bed. Mm. And I'm still in bed. And my wife can hear. She's in the closet, and she's over there like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. That don't bother you. I'm like, I know where he at. And I'm steady watching TV. Mm. You know, at a a point, you just like, hey, he's been in this house for six weeks. He ain't seen nobody, his friends, nothing other than FaceTime. He has no contact with human other than the people in this house. You think he going crazy? Mm-hmm. I said, look, as an adult, mm-hmm. we can understand that. At a 17-year-old with hormones, nah, uh-uh, no he's over there like this. He's looking at me <laughs> like that. <laughs> Dad, break me out, Dad. Break me out. Mm-hmm. Break me out. Yeah. 2020 Basketball Hall of Fame class. You got Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant. Some of your thoughts on that class. I know you're a big-time basketball fan. It's an outstanding class. Um, you know, tragic what happened to Kobe. Uh, the speech I was looking forward to. Uh, Mr. Fundamentals speaks for himself. I can't wait for K- <laughs> KG to go in there and say something because he's going to say something that everybody's going to start laughing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it's one of those things that you, you know, it's going to be so emotional throughout the, the, the ceremony. Uh, you know, I was there 
um, a couple years ago when they in, inducted Phil Knight. Uh, and, you know, the basketball and baseball Hall of Fames are so much different. Uh, but, you know, to be in a category where, you know, you're going to live forever, it's pretty, mm-hmm. it's pretty special. And I can't, you know, like I said, I can't, uh, uh, it's going to be emotional for, for all of us because uh, as great as MJ is in basketball, my daughter is a diehard AI fan and Kobe fan. You can't say nothing wrong. And I start laughing because I'm like, you know, hey, they all learn from, from, nah, not Kobe. He, I'm like, oh, they like, and this is when she was young. So, you know, having a girl, teenage girl. And the thing is, her basketball coaches were D Brown and mm. Antonio Davis growing up. He lived right down the street from us. And I was always saying, uh, Mr. Brown, how, how's AI doing? And he was, <laughs> she was tough today. I was like, okay. Because, you know, growing up, as you know, when you have kids who you know, dads are a professional athlete, the hardest thing for us to get through to other coaches that we are dads, but don't give us some of the bullshit that you can give everybody else. Right. We don't. We already. We've already gone through all that. So uh, you know, my kids were prepared as a you know early in life that hey, these things are going to happen. But getting back to the, to the Hall of Fame, I, it's going to be a very emotional week uh, for everybody because, you know, mm-hmm. that's one of the greatest competitors that, uh, mm-hmm. will ever, that ever lived. You have any uh, uh, personal story that comes to mind uh, about Kobe or an uh, opportunity or experience you guys shared? No, I just, you know, uh, we actually took a family vacation and it was probably the, the best family vacation that I've ever taken. And we planned it that uh, it was LeBron and Kobe for Christmas Day in L.A. And then from L.A., we were going to Hawaii. My kids have never been to Hawaii. So we're like, okay, we get to Hawaii. Um, But just being able to to go in there and say hi to him, my kids look at him like, you know, uh, uh, what did Iverson say? He had that glow, like Mm -hmm. uh, The Last Dragon. So when they saw, yeah. So when they saw him, they were like looking at him, uh, and we end up going to Hawaii. And halfway through Hawaii, my oldest goes, "Dad, well, we're going to Seattle," because I had to take a physical. It was uh, 2008. He said, "We're going to Seattle. Why don't we stop and go to the Rose Bowl? We gotta." So we fly from LA, go to the Rose Bowl, and then up to Seattle to watch Chris Johnson. Uh, rush for 2,000 yards. So in that nine, 10 day period, we got to see some of the, you know, a football game, a basketball game, and uh, two football games and a basketball game, which were pretty incredible for, for my kids and, and me. I was like, uh, you know, probably the best time I've ever had as a, a dad to be able to share these type of experiences and, you know, for them to be thankful because they still thank me to this day about, hey, that was a great trip. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's amazing. That's, that's the, the experience lasts, lasts a lifetime. You know, I was fortunate enough my last three or four years playing where the Twins were traveling with me everywhere. So my final year in Golden State, Coach Kerr was so cool. He let them on the team playing. They were in the hotel with us. They were in shoot around with us, you know, shooting against KD dur- during one of our Western Conference practices. So that's the kind of stuff that they'll never, ever forget. And it, like I said, those are true proud dad moments where you're really just giving these kids like a once in a lifetime, t- uh, you know, kind of look at our lives. 
you're struggling, hit in front of your dad, and then the, the, take us back to that senior, the, the game your senior year, 0 for 2 with two strikeouts. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I've had coaches throughout my high school career go, hey, uh, tell your dad he can't show up. You can't play in front of him. <laughs> uh, you know, my mom and dad would be talking. My mom would go, you know, he did this. He, and he would always ask my mom, is he really that damn good? Because every time I see him, he can't hit nothing. <laughs> so I was 0 for 2 with two strikeouts. He leaves, goes to the ballpark. I drive down. And he goes, hey, man, what'd you do? I said, I went 3 for 5 with two home runs and a double. He said, you can't do that in front of me? I'm like, nah. So my very first hit in front of him as a pro he was in in an rv in left center field behind the minor league field like and i got a hit he opens the window and he goes now was that so damn bad and he closes the window <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like really dad you just going i'm at first base like yes i got a hit He's like nah duh. finally <laughs> so was it smooth set was it was it when did you start, finally start feeling comfortable hitting around him Right then and there, right when I understood that he's just like everybody else. He's a fan, but he just happened it. to be my dad. Man, number one overall pick by the Seattle Mariners. Talk to us about where sports came. You were a multi-talented athlete, played several sports. Uh, when did you know baseball was your sport? Um, I knew baseball was always my sport. That's the, the thing. And in my household, how we grew up is you're going to play everything. Um, the only thing that my dad insisted on was that you knew 85% of the rules before you started playing. Um, you know, he didn't quiz you on it, but, you know, hey, if something happens, what do you do? Or uh, um, baseball, it was easy because I, was, I grew up watching my dad. But basketball and football, um, he wanted to make sure that I knew the rules and, and, you know, go out there and play as hard as I could. And, you know, he didn't care about the wins and losses as a, as a kid. It was more or less the effort that was given throughout the day. The key for me growing up uh, was that it was always about effort. You know, I can't control what four other guys do on the court, or I can't control, you know, 10 other guys on the football field, but I can control what I do. And uh, he would never ask me, you know, hey, what'd you do in the game? He, hey, how'd your team do? And then we would go on from there. And probably about 40 minutes into the conversation, he was like, hey, what do you need to work on? So it was always a constant work. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, constant work throughout, you know, my little league, my high school, even my pro days. Um, you know, the one thing that was constant is the phone call, the talking. Um, you know, he still, you know, he's always, he will always be my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he can't stop that. So even now I'm 50 and he's still telling me what to do. And I just look at him, I'll call him and be like, look, man. <laughs> <laughs> I got this part of it. But right. you know, now he's like, you know, he's like grandfather, so he thinks he can right. he controls it. I'd be like, look, man, you don't live right. here. There right. ain't no mail coming to your my house with your name on it. After right. he told me that when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's beautiful to hear the relationship you and your father have because there's some fact and there's some stigma about, you know, absent absent fathers in the black community and the households and you were someone who got to have a father, have an amazing relationship with his father, and not only do that, but play on the same team as your father. Yeah, Tell us what I mean, that was like. Well, uh, go back a little bit. Um, I actually met my grandfather. When you talk about absentee parents, uh, my grandfather and my grandmother got divorced when my dad was two. I was 19 years old 
And I was in the lobby and my grandfather showed up and I had no idea what he looked like. And I just looked wow. over and I was like, man. And Harold Reynolds was with me. And I said, I think that's my grandfather. He goes, what? I go, I've never met him. So Harold was like, let's go. Because he looked just mm. like one of my uncles. So Harold introduced me to my grandfather for the wow. first time. I was 19 years old. Uh, so then I called my grandmother. I was like, hey, I just met. She was like, stay away from him. I was like, okay, cool. Because uh, I've known you all my life. I just met this man. <laughs> so mm. <laughs> what grandma said, it, that was the law. Uh, and the mm. next time I saw him, I was 25. Um, you know, and then I had to get some stories from my dad. Um, he actually was really crazy. Is he went to high school and played baseball with mm. Stan Musial? So wow. they were high school teammates. And Stan would always say, "Hey, your grandfather was one of the best athletes I ever played with." But getting back to my dad, everything that my grandfather did, he didn't want to make that same mistake. So as many games as he wanted to, you know, that he could be because he was still playing. So mm-hmm. he would show up when he could. Um, and he was like, this is the way it's supposed to be. So I learned from him, hey, you got to show up to as many games as possible. Because I was that kid who, who, you know, every Saturday my dad's playing and they got all the dads there. My dad's still not able to come unless we had that early game and they were at home. Uh, but he probably saw me 30 times from Little League until I turned pro. He did what he could. Um, the money is, you know, the money's definitely different where, you know, you can charter a plane home uh, mm-hmm. uh, and watch the kids and, and be back in the same city in the same day. I mean, I did it, you know, when I was in Cincinnati. My little guy and my oldest guy had game one and game two. So game one was 7.30 to 8.30 and 9 o'clock to 11, I jumped back on a plane mm-hmm. at, at uh, 11.30, 12 o'clock and be back in Cincinnati at 1.30 and for a night game. And nobody knew mm-hmm. what happened, mm-hmm. but you know that, you know the uh, just the learning of what my dad did helped me, you know, try to be a better parent. Yes, yes, I love that. There's a lot of talk right now with LeBron James possibly being able to play with his son uh, Bronny, and that would be an, an, an amazing feat. As we mentioned earlier, you and your dad got a chance to play uh, with each other. Uh, Actually, the only father-son duel to hit back-to-back home runs, which is incredible. What was it right. like to, okay, you're here now, and then you've always grown up seeing your dad. Now you're playing with your dad. Although it wasn't very long, you still got a chance to do it, and you, you made some history uh, in the process. What was that like? Uh, dad was funny because um, when he got there, he said, hey, this is your team. This is your mm-hmm. team. This is not my team. This is your team. You toss in the backyard, it's a little different. Now we in uniform, and we actually getting paid for this. So it's different than the father and son games and things like that. He's in left, I'm in right, but we had a bet. Whoever got the first hit, the other one had to pay for dinner. But the other one had a chance to tie. So he batted second, I batted third. So he gets a single. But while he's, while he's up at the plate, I yell out, come on, Dad, get a hit. I turn around, everybody in the dugout's laughing. And I go, what's so damn funny? They go, you know, that's the first time that it's been said, because you know, you get fossil old man, gray beard. You know, you get all these names. Come on, pops, you know, things like that. And I was like, come on, dad, get a hit. And they were like, that's the first time in the, this history of this game that somebody Crazy. actually said it and meant it. That was their daddy meant hitting. It. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he gets a hit and then I get a hit. And I'm like, yes. So 
he actually hit 377 the six weeks that he played with us. He led our team in hitting. Uh, had three home runs. I keep laughing at him because, you know, when they start him off with a fastball, they throw me a curveball. When they start him off with a curveball, they throw me the fastball. They never pitched us the same. But I learned a lot about hitting because this guy looked like I look like him. I watch him set up pitches. I watch all the things that he did. And I said, for 17 years that I lived in your house, I learned more about hitting in the six weeks hitting behind you. That's crazy. Than I would. The things that Every man has heard in their house. While you live at my house, you live by my rules. Mm-hmm. Well, my dad stayed with me. My, my dad stayed with me, so I got to say it to my dad. <laughs> His ass moved out. <laughs> he wasn't trying to hear it. But Flip the switch we go, we, Yeah, we go into, uh, we go into mm-hmm. um, Anaheim, and he hits a two-run homer. And he shakes my hand, and he said, that's how you do it, son. And I just turned around and looked at him like, I can't believe you just gone. You just gone. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, he watched my intensity change. Like, oh, I got to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I hit it out. I gave me a 3-0 pitch. I got the green light. I hit it out. I'm running around the base. I can't wait to shake his hand. You know, I'm sitting there like that. Yeah, I got him. Uh, he made me shake everybody's hand first before he shook mine. <laughs> and then we sat, he, we sat next to each other, and he said, uh, you know what we just did? I said, yeah, we went back to back. Not understanding the magnitude of history, you know, him being 38 and me being 20, not understanding any of that, I'm still in game mode. He's over there, done, he done switched out of game mode. He done thought about, you know, the Hall of Fame, you know, what this means in baseball history. I'm still in, you know, the third or fourth inning. I'm still right there. He's sitting there talking to me, and I'm like focused like that, you know, just blah, blah, blah. And I didn't realize what it meant until I started passing guys on the home run chart when I got to Frank Robinson and, and, and certain guys that now I understand what he felt like because he was around the same age, 38, that I'm starting passing these guys on this chart. And I'm like, so this is what my dad felt like, mm. you know, 18 years ago. And uh, mm-hmm. I sat there for a second, and, and I was playing right field at the time, and I just shook my head like, okay, now I get it. Now I understand. Now now we good. So I called him. I said, now I understand, Dad, what you felt right. like 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, when, I, when we went mm-hmm. back to back. He was like, it took you that damn long to realize it? <laughs> you know, they, all, they always got to be smart somewhere around right. there. But no, yeah. but he, he, was, he was a teammate. Um, which was great. Um, if Bronny makes it, I'm going to be there with my dad to be sitting in the oh, stands. That would be um, amazing. That's something that doesn't happen often and you want to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, we were just sitting there like, and, you know, we're trying to calculate, okay, he's this age, blah, blah, blah. He got three and a half years, four years before he, you know, before he could play. And we're like, all right, if he stick around four years and he makes it, okay, we're going to be there. Um, because it is special. It is special. It's, it's, it's one of those things. And, and, you know, and I tell everybody, it, it's whether you play professional, to be outside, being able to play with your kids and still be healthy enough to play with your kids, that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, yep. people look at it, oh, you, you're, I mean, the, think about this. My dad went through two strikes and a lockout before he could play with me. 
Now he had to stick around, yeah. you know, 19 years. And I had to get out of high school and play within a year and a half to be in the big leagues for this to happen. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of factors that have to happen in baseball that, you know, football, and I don't think it's ever going to be done. Mm-mm. No, it can't be. <laughs> it can't be. But, yeah, unless you can't have be. a baby at 12 and... and <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but, Crazy. you know, we, we work on it. I mean, but it, it was, you know, he, like I said, he was a teammate. He didn't, he didn't treat me any differently uh, other than the fact that we rode together we went to lunch together, and he paid because I called him Mr. Provider. I didn't ask to be born mm-hmm. in this world. Uh, uh, it just Guilt so happened. Guilt tripped him. <laughs> yeah. Guilt tripped him. What's funny is my kid's doing it to me. My, my son looking at me, and Trey's 26. I was like, yo, man, you go. He's like, nah, dad. Mm-mm. What are we having for dinner? I'm like, Always uh, going to be dad. Yeah. yeah always going to be thing. dad. Yeah. That's a good feeling, though. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You played in the air. I couldn't imagine what you would have been like in a, in a social media era with the way your style of play, your swing, the, I mean, how good you were. With this last dance now, we never got to see that backstory of Mike. He was like the one superstar that we, uh, you know, as basketball fans, never really got to see the other side of. So with this last dance and his ways kind of pulling back the curtain on what things were like back there, what have you been uh, taking away from this? Uh, well, I've been sitting there with the kids and, you know, my wife, and we've been looking at each other, and she would start laughing. I'd be like, what are you laughing about? She goes, that sounds just like you. That intensity is you. I'd be like, no, I wasn't like that. She goes, oh, yeah. The difference in, in baseball that I said in other sports is baseball is the only sport where I can neutralize the best player. If I don't want him to play, I just stick out four fingers and he can go to first base. Like you tend to say, you know, you're hitting a round ball with a round bat square, hand-eye coordination, other things. But I don't take anything away from anybody's other sport, whether it be football or basketball, because that's a whole lot of pounding that y'all do that people don't see. They don't see the elbows to the ribs, the shots that you guys take going to the hole, the guys tackling and things like that. They see a good tackle. They, they understand that, but they don't understand what happens because everybody follows the ball. Mm-hmm. Every sport follows mm-hmm. the ball. They don't see everything else that goes on, but... You know, I sit there and, you know, uh, for me, I just had surgery 12 weeks ago. It'll be 12 weeks tomorrow. Shoulder surgery, uh, which was number 20 for me. Mm. Uh, Yeah. So when people say, hey, you should have played other sport, I'd be like, no, I'm good. (laughs) I'm happy where I, where I, because I do see, you know, having a kid who played, you know, high school, college and pro. I see, you know, when he comes in. Monday morning, how beat up he is. Um, you know, I do see my, my little guy who's a corner, what he looks like on Sunday morning. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I do see, you know, and it's a little, it's a whole lot different from girls basketball, the physicality from girls to boys and basketball wise. Uh, but I do see how sore my, my daughter was playing. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I don't want to be running that far. I don't want to do all that, and I don't want nobody to hit me. I'm happy right where I'm at. God throw me a 3-2 yes, slider. Either I hit it or I don't. It's okay. But the intensity from, you know, and, and I've known Mike for 20-plus years. You know, so actually, 25-plus. Uh, but you've always heard about the intensity and how he was. Now you're seeing a little bit of it now, mm-hmm. but... You know, the thing is that you start laughing because you see him now after playing, owning a team. He's still got that competitive edge, but he's just not uh, 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 as fiery that you saw Mm -hmm. back then because you're not playing. I mean, think about it. We're all retired. We sitting there like, yeah, some of that stuff don't even matter no more. Mm -hmm. We just sit there and chill. Mm -hmm. No. 20 years ago, we'd have been uh, blew a gasket. Right in the mix. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right in the mix. But see, it was, but the difference for me is like, you know, my dad played baseball. He helped a lot of guys out. Um, so when we had a team fight, they was pushing me out. Like, this don't belong to you. We just going to have you play. So, I mean, there's been plenty of times. Dave Parker grabbed me. We fight in Oakland. And Dave was like, nah, this don't, 
gone back here. This don't, you don't have nothing to do with this one. And I'm like, I want to get into it. They be like, mm-mm, this is uh-uh. for the guys that need to get into it. You're going to you take our game to another level. And he knew mm. it at that, you know, and I'm like, what? He's like, just sit your butt over there in this corner. Matter of fact, if I see you in this, I'm going to grab you. And I was like, man, I don't want him to grab me. Hey, but Dave Park was big. Had, Dave Park was a yeah, big dude. Yeah, he, 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 he did some things to me uh, uh, that wasn't fair. Uh, but, <laughs> but, I mean, that's the way, thing, you know, you have certain guys, even though they play for another team, you know that that's the kid who, who's going to elevate the game. And you try to take care of him and let him understand that, hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. so this game can get to the next level. You started a partnership with Nike, released a shoe in 96. To me, one of the best cross trainers, right up there with Dion's and, and, and Bruce Smith's. Uh, talk to us a little bit how that started and how that made you feel, man, to have your signature shoe in baseball, and that was kind of uncommon at the time. You know, you grow up, uh, my dad was a Chuck Taylor fan, Converse. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, so, you know, growing up, and you know, he... He didn't have a contract. The funny thing is with the Reds, you had, it was only, I think Johnny Bench was the only one who had a contract, shoe contract. But he had that Rawlings, leather bottom, three spikes. Uh, and he was like, when he got to New York, he was able to get a contract. So he wanted Converse. And we was like, nah, we want Nike. You know, <laughs> we want Nike. He was like, nah, you know, Magic and Bird, my guy. So he signed with Converse. I refused to wear them. I just was like, <laughs> I ain't wearing them. You know, he was like that dad that was like, oh, you're going to wear these, uh, you know. And they leather, too. And at that time, you know, you're looking at 70, 80. So the leather, you know, I was like, I ain't wearing them. So uh, I told my mom, I said, I'm going to have my own shoe. And, she, you mm-hmm. know, like every other mom, yeah, you go ahead, baby. Yeah, you know how that is. Uh, I wish you luck. And finally, I got one. And uh, I, the first time they put it in my hand, I just stared at it. I just looked at it like, wow, this is happening. And um, I still have it. It's, it's under lock and key. But it was just one of those moments where I was like, you know, you, you feel that you have arrived and say that you were going to do something and you did it. Uh, not knowing how far it was going to go. Uh, you know, because you always want to leave the sport better than when it came in, better than when you came in. And, um, you know, my dad not being able to have a a shoe uh, because they weren't, that wasn't popular then, only basketball. You know, I tell everybody basketball, it starts a whole lot of stuff. Basketball had high tops. All of a sudden, baseball got high tops. All of a sudden, football got high tops. Basketball went three-quarter. Then everybody went to the three-quarter. Then basketball started mm-hmm. with the, the, lows. the lows. Now everybody got a speed shoe. Even in uniforms that you know you guys have have started, the tight-fit uniforms and everything mm-hmm. else. The Back in the day, the tearaway jerseys. Um, just everything that you guys have done over the years, you know, other sports have followed. Marketing. Basketball has one, you know, back, I couldn't remember, back in the day, it was fantastic. I couldn't wait to find mm-hmm. out who said it. And, and you know, that was the, <laughs> the highlight. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, I mean, you know, basketball has done a lot for, for culture. And, you know, as other sports, we have to follow it. Uh, because I think that, you know, there's some, some great minds in basketball uh, for marketing their players. You know, they don't have, you know, I'm 6'2". 
and I don't stick out like a sore thumb. You know, I can go somewhere. Somebody come in six five or taller. You know, mm-hmm. they they're like, you know, they automatically think you play basketball or you do play. Um, so I was able to to hide where you know basketball you can't um, football. You can hide because you had a helmet on, but you know the promoting mm-hmm. of the players. Uh, you guys have been on top, you know, since day one. How you promote your players is an unbelievable mm-hmm. job, day in and day out. Um, no matter, you know, if they're the best player on the team, to the the twelfth guy on the team, you know, uh, they getting some airtime and people know who they are. I mean, even in mm-hmm. the city of Orlando, mm-hmm. you know, they'll name, you know, seven guys off the top of the head and they'll be like, hey, we need to get rid of this. I'll be like, but the only thing I don't like is, is uh, for me, the fantasy football and basketball and baseball. Because, you know, now you start rooting, you know, you have your team that you're playing for <laughs> and you're rooting against them because you got a guy that's playing for this team. On the other team, but, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be at the right. house, uh, uh, you know, because... I get in trouble because I was born outside of Pittsburgh and my entire family, uh, except like three people, are diehard Steeler fans. And I get in trouble because I'm a Cowboy fan. And oh, yes, sir. Jack. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but I grew up, you know, my uncle went to high school with Tony Dorsett. So I went oh, that way. Like, that's a good reason, so, right? So he went to Tony Dorsett. He was like, hey, watch this kid. And I think I was like six or seven then. And so I just started following him, and I just became a Cowboy fan. And and I don't know about you guys. How superstitious are you guys? I'm not. Somewhat uncertain things, putting certain things on a certain way, yeah. Sax, what are you? Oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm not superstitious at all, man. I'm, I, got a, I got a strong belief in God, so I leave it at that. I'm really superstitious. Like, <laughs> it's to the point where I have, tr- <laughs> I have traded in cars because I ain't getting no hit in it. <laughs> 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 I had one of my Man. friends. Uh, uh, That's baller. Was, That's uh, crazy to hear, right? I walk up the home plate the same way. I, you know, if I come in on the first base side, I walk straight in. If I come back, if we're on the third base side, I walk behind the umpire and come in through the first base side. Mm. Uh, three swipes, clear out my area, back, dig in. Routine. The, I don't. T- yeah, but I don't touch any lines. Uh, mm. I don't run over the mound. Mm. Uh, I touch third base. I touch when I run out on the field for the first time. I touch first base if we're on the first base side and third base on on the third base side. Yeah, but getting back to my my trading in car, I actually had one of my friends. <laughs> he's from Cincinnati at the time. He actually drove one of my cars up, handed me the keys, and then drove back. So he drove 26 hours just to give me a car. Mm. And I said, man, when you get it back, uh, go ahead and get rid of it because it hadn't hit. I went 0 for 11 in it. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Nah, I was like, do it. It, it can't be me. Like I said, it can't be me. It had, <laughs> it had, had to, to be, be the that car. damn car, no question. That, yeah. that wasn't routine? That wasn't routine uh, more than superstition? No, nah, because I drove the other car, it got a hit. <laughs> right. <laughs> so right away you knew it. Right. You knew and it I got that car. What's different in baseball is, is, you know, you got your coming out music at the beginning. That's it. Mm. When they introduce y'all, one time. So we get it four times. Mm-hmm. And depending on my mood swings, uh, uh, was how I played my music. So 
You know, it could be, you know, DMX, NWA, uh, uh, Eminem. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, had a little reggae in there mm -hmm. with uh, Kamali Marley. Uh, but I just, it was like, you know, being superstitious. And if a media person asked me the wrong question, I'd play my music that way so he could hear it. So mm. he knew, I, you know, so he could hear what I was saying. Hell yeah, he could feel you without you having to say it. I've had a couple people, I had a couple medias go, come up to me and was like, um, hey man, uh, was that song meant for somebody? I'm like, no, nah, what you talking about? Because uh, I got ripped for something I didn't do, but it is what it is. And uh, so I played. What song uh, did you have? I am whatever you say I am. Right, uh, yeah, talking talk <laughs> yeah. right to him. Yeah. Uh, but the funniest thing I've done, a couple funny things I've done is Jay Buhner came up to hit and we had those foam hats and the big foam cowboy hats and I played mm -hmm. Bonanza when he came up. And he put the bat between his legs and started jumping <laughs> like this. Uh, <laughs> that was one. And everybody knows uh, um, Beltre that... Uh, mm -hmm. Well, he doesn't wear a cup playing third base. I don't know how you, at third base, you're not wearing a that's, cup. That's scary. So he got hit. So, Ooh. you know, he was out for six to eight weeks. He comes back. Damn. The first at, the first at bat that he came back, I had him play the nutcracker when he walked up to the plate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but do you but, know how oh, bad yeah. how bad that, how, you know, to be out <laughs> six to eight weeks from getting hit, yeah, in the nut, you know like how Matt, fucked man. up that had to be? Oh, he petty, just, uh, yeah. he petty just like you, man. He petty just like you, bro. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm on my shit, too. I love hearing this, because I would do the same kind of shit. But, you know, it, it, I mean, we play 162 games in 180 right. days. So, right. so we're there every day. Now, now right. I had a guy, uh, Manzanilla, Jose Manzanilla. He got hit, pitcher. And he was down on the ground. And Joey Cora standing over top of him. You run on this field, you run the fuck off the field. And he got up and ran. And we, at the end of the, we came in at the end of the inning, he was like this. Like he was swollen down there like that. And we started laughing. So he had to go, he had surgery. They had to sew it together. So he oh. was out for like, he was out for like two and a half, three months. Oh my but God. we were all laughing because, you know, because. The runoff, he said, you run on the field, you run off. And then we got in the dugout, we were like, we got in the training room. We was like, ooh, yeah, man, I might have walked that one off. But, you know, <laughs> but, Blue you know, what's funny is up. that when, when, when you're when you down, you know, the one thing in baseball is like they give you the, all the teammates figure you ain't doing nothing. So they give you like the lover's package. It's got feathers and glitter and all kind of stuff that they, you know, because you're going to be at home for a while. You might as well yeah. get reacquainted with, with mama. Well, we couldn't do that with him because he, he wasn't able to do nothing. Mm, <laughs> so we was over there I looking at him you. like, oh, we was looking at him like, you can't do nothing. It's going to be all right. But we just going to look at you like. So I saw him, you know, we saw him, you know, he got back. We we're like, you wearing a cup? And every then they start cup checking him, making mm. sure he wore one. I'm like, come on, dog. But I figured I, I didn't wear one because to me, if I got hit from 300 feet, I deserve to get hit. <laughs> you know, if I got, if a right. ball bounced three, you know, it broke right. three, you know, three hundred feet, and I can't put right. a glove on, I deserve that's it. Your, to get. That's that's your fault, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's why I got all them. Right. Yeah. 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 Balls ain't never balls balls ain't never get touched. Got the glove. Mm-mm. Talk to us a little bit about uh the creation of your commercials. Like one of my all time favorite commercials was was uh I got it, where you basically ran to California to, to catch a pop up uh from New York and, and threw it back in. Uh, talk to uh, us how, cre- how how part uh, you know how uh, how hands on were you in the creative process of those commercials? Well, they they already had the creative done for me. Uh, okay, they just asked me did I want to do it, and I was like, yeah, I do it. Uh, I actually ran across the bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge. I actually was in Times Square in full uni, running in between cabs. <laughs> Uh, Could you imagine now, seeing that shit, though? Well, no, the funny thing is, what's the liability of a team now would say, uh, absolutely not, he's not doing no any of that. No question. Uh, right. There was a cornfield in the middle of L.A. that I ran through. Um, Hit it here. The, they had little small town USA, which was in L.A., and I ran through that. It was the wildest thing. I mean, I spent five days running, and we and actually... Then, uh-huh. You know, L.A., the uh, beach. Little known fact about that commercial, Vivica Fox was in that commercial. Mm. She was one of the extras in that commercial. On really? The I, didn't, that's, I never caught her. That's, it, that's, it was just like that. that. Uh, that's one of your famous lines, Matt. I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> I got it. I got it. I'm good. I, tell, that, that's, I say that now. But no, it was, it, you know... The, you know that nowadays is they try to figure out your personality, mm-hmm. um, and what can you do. My thing is, I could I could play ball and I could help you sell shoes because it's all about putting yourself in a a position where people like you. Um, my dad wasn't a pain in the ass, so I didn't have that problem of people thinking that I was going to be that person. Um, all the people that my dad has helped. They helped me. I mean, from your Dave Winfield, Ricky Henderson, Kirby Puckett, uh, mm-hmm. Chili Davis, mm-hmm. um, you know, Eddie Murray, all these guys, when they came into my town or I was in their town, hey, we're taking you to lunch. We want to pick wow. your brain. We want you to be the guy. So I was basically groomed to be That's that guy at an early age. That's and, amazing. And I understood it. Even though I was still young, I understood certain things. I was still wanting to be a teenager. I still wanted to be a 20-year-old. I mean, think about it. I was two years in the big leagues before I was allowed to go to a club. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was 21, going to a club, I was like, I've already spent two years in the big leagues. I know what I need to do to stay here. And mm-hmm. so I just learned that, you know, people like, well, you missed all the, you know, you missed the college experience. You missed this. You missed that. But I tell people, no. I didn't miss that because here's where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I want to be in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that would have kept me off the payroll for three, three more years, four more years, because you'd been three years in college mm-hmm. before you get drafted. And then, you know, unless you're that monster uh, uh, coming out of college, which very seldom that you have a position player, they still want you to go from aluminum bat to wood bat so they want to see. You know, throwing, having a guy throwing 97 to 100, he ain't going to spend much time in the minor leagues. But they want to mm-hmm. see guys that, mm-hmm. that, you know, perform day in and day out with a wooden bat. So, um, yeah, but it was, you know, it's a learning curve for, you know, 
from you guys from college to 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 pro ball from high school to you know pro ball i mean you, and you just have to have you know i think the thing that we're missing as a group is the mentorship that people absolutely people want and need right. uh, people think that they can do it all by themselves no they can't no way you know and, and you have the guy, no idea what you're getting into that's the no, big shot to mentorship, your dad too yeah absolutely yeah, but the the mentorship is for me the most important thing because everybody can you know you can shoot you can run you can dunk you can you know pass the ball but it ain't about what you do on the field that's important it's how you carry yourself off the field because basketball football and baseball that's going in mm-hmm. what can you do after you know what kind of what do you want to do with your life after I played 20, 24 years as a pro, which is half my life. So half my life, I'm not a pro. What do I want to do? Um, I've been fortunate enough to, to get in a couple businesses and try to move forward from that. I think it's amazing because I think we speak on it today that there's the league is so young now, particularly the NBA, that there's no vet, veteran leaders anymore. And, you know, to hear that your dad kind of did so much for other guys, he was one of those true back in the day, let me help you avoid the potholes and it's seldom you find that anymore your dad had a very long successful career um you know all stars won two world series what was it like as a child growing up with the dad that was a successful professional athlete he reciprocated it reciprocated well, to him yeah, just, you know he, yeah but i tell you what's funny about that is i didn't realize who my dad was until like i was in eighth grade and i had like a new york yankee starter jacket on and i was at school when somebody said where'd you get that i was like my dad he was like what'd you your dad plays for the Yankees? I was like, yeah. He didn't come home and project that he was this baseball player. He mm-hmm. just was dad. Um, you know, when he came in the house, I didn't know if he went 0 for 4 or 4 for 4. Um, but the things that, you know, he taught me was, you know, number one, you work hard. There's other people involved that are going to help you. Take the information that is given to you and apply it to your game. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, then you can talk about it, that person. Talk with it. Talk with it. Talk to that person about it. Um, that's the the hard thing is now you got guys that don't want to listen. They think they know mm-hmm. it all. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, you. I had an argument with a catcher one year, and he was like, I see the ball so perfect. I said, dude, then why are you batting a buck ninety? <laughs> if you're seeing the ball that great, right. Right. and we're in we're in high A. You ain't going to make it because there are certain things that you are not doing. I'm here to help you. And I told him, I said, look, my speech that's coming in, in, in at that time of 2010, so five years from now, 2016, I'm not going to mention your name that I helped you. I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to hurt you. And I think that's where people, you know, uh, uh, Cincinnati did the same thing for a while. They didn't allow the guys to show up. So, you know, you couldn't see, you know, my dad couldn't show up. My dad could show up because he worked for the team, but Johnny Bench wasn't there a lot. Joe Morgan, Chuck Harmon Sr., these guys that that paved the way for, for athletes today who have seen baseball for 30, 40, 50 years were not allowed to be seen in a locker room to help the guys. And, and we needed those guys. So when you go into a locker room, not going to a locker room representing yourself. You robbing, you're you wanting to help a younger kid, right. you know, make as much money as he can, but also talk to him about life situations where 
they don't get caught up in some of the BS that people have been caught up in. And so we get, uh, you know, for me, I'm fortunate enough that I work for the Mariners and they allow me to do that. I come in, we have conversations. Uh, my phone doesn't stop ringing till, you know, one, two, three o'clock in the morning sometimes. The guys, the young kids want to just talk about sports. They can't, you know, the, the biggest thing is how come I don't show up more? I'm like, I'm there five times a year. It's like, we need you more. We need to see you more. I'm like, mm. you can call me. We can FaceTime. No, right. we want you to be here. So, uh, you know, so I think that's the, the, the thing is trying to get these young kids to understand that, yeah, it may be basketball, but there are other things. This game is going to continue to go on with or without you. Just, you know, go out there, do the right thing. You know, every day, go out there and work your butt off, but do the right thing. Yep. You know, you have to ask yourself, what is it going to cost me off the field? You know. Good question. You know, that's the, the, the key. What is it going to, how much is it going to cost me? It may not cost me any money because that, but it could cost me, you know, later Other on. Things. Being able to, to, to have that, that sponsorship job, you know, promoting a product. And I think people don't look at, they look at what's now. Instead the of big picture, the big picture. What I want when I'm not playing this game, because mm-hmm. that money, you know, what did it, what's the rookie minimum? I know it's like five thirty-five for for baseball, or five maybe six hundred for baseball. Yeah, but so, so it's up higher for the NBA. You're not gonna make that at a regular job. <laughs> so Mm-mm. your spending can't overpower that. So you got to learn a lot of things. You know, and, and basketball is being a part of it, but how much money do I want to keep? What are my goals when I'm not playing? How do I want to continue to generate revenue and what we call it uh, generational wealth? Right. Mm-hmm. But also continuing to be able to live the lifestyle you live now. You know what I mean? The lifestyle you were accustomed to in the pros as far as just your amenities, you know, you have to start planning for that so you can still be comfortable once you're done. And I think that mm-hmm. a lot of people, a lot of people miss that boat. A lot of people miss yeah. that boat. It's unfortunate because you work your ass off. We're put here as athletes. That's what we learn. That's what we, from, you know, since we were little. So once, we, once that over, that, that what next starts to creep in, like you said, so you have to keep all that in mind. And Jack and I have been lucky, fortunate enough because we, we're guys who've made multiple mistakes, but I think we've stayed true to ourselves, and we, we, we've apologized when needed to, but I've always been real and authentic, and we've been able to, although we hit some major potholes, um, we've been able to transfer over in, into this next space of, you know, analyzing and, and kind of talking for a living, but we learned a lot along the way, and, and, and that's what we try to do. We try to motivate people. You know, some people have a, a clearer path than others, but you could still do it. You know what I mean? But you always want to keep that big picture in mind because, like you said, your career is going to come to an end. Like, what is going to be next? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you guys have done an unbelievable job of, you know, I, you know we were supposed to hook up, Matt uh, uh, and I, when you were here, mm-hmm. about doing a bowling tournament. and. Yep. Yeah, I was going to beat you, by the way. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Look at it. It's throwing something down the thing. I got to get in that. I got to get in that. I'm kind of nice with bowling. I got to get in that. Uh Uh, Well, I'm going to just let you all know, you know, I built my house uh, with a bowling alley in it. So we don't stand a chance. 
Well, thank you. Tell me, what, shit, well, hey, what'd you shit? What'd you, hey, we'll just come to your house and, and play then. And then go to Vince's house and play some, you know, play something else too. No, 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 that's okay, though. That's, that's your sport. I'm not into that one. That's <laughs> funny. <laughs> Look, I know my limits. Look, yeah. uh, no, I tell you, you know, actually what's funny is uh, when the kids left for college, I end up getting rid of it. Like, you know, I was like, I'm not here. Nobody's bowling. So I made it a, a, a man cave. So I put, you know, the, the ping pong table, the, the pool mm-hmm. table, put a little DJ booth because I want to learn how to be a DJ. Uh, right, I try no. to pick th- I try to pick things, you know, every year to keep every other year or every three years to just to keep going. Uh, in 2000, I learned to scuba dive. Oh. Um, 06, I took flying lessons, so I learned to fly. Wow! So I can fly my own plane. That's dope. I figured that I figured that my kids were going to go to school in like somewhere in Florida, and I could fly down to see them and then fly back. Now mm-hmm. my kids decided they want to go to Arizona. I was like, well, I just take it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but my little guy, he, he's, he's, uh, he's going to FAMU. He's going to go to FAMU. Okay. So we're looking Stay forward close. to that. Yeah, well, he, he's always said he wanted homeschool college. Yeah, he didn't want to go far. <laughs> he didn't want to leave. Uh, I ain't mad at that. No, he, no I, I, I don't blame him. I just keep telling him, if I could move in with my mom, I would too. Yes, my mom sir. cook, mm. you know, because nobody cook like mom. You know, uh, I don't care about you. money too. No. Not even nah, close. Nah, nah. Uh, I'm gonna make him pay room and board. Nah, <laughs> so you're the overall number one pick uh, in 1987. Uh, spend two years in the minor leagues, make your major league debut. Tell us what that process was like. Was to, to, uh, finally getting there. You've been around it your whole life. Uh, you know, you obviously picked it up. You 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 knew this was your sport. You're finally there. What was that feeling uh, like? They called a couple days before the draft. And, you know, they were like, we're going to draft you or we're going to draft a college pitcher, which was Mike Harkey. I kept saying, okay. And finally they go, we want to make you our number one pick. Do you, are you going to sign? And my dad said, uh, he looks at me and goes, hey, they want to make you the number one pick. Wow. But you could say no and you can go to seven, six, seven. I think the Reds were, Reds in Atlanta were like within the first 11. And I said, no, I want to be the number one pick. Hmm. And he looked at me. I was like, I want to be number one. And he said, we're going to sign. So the, the draft was actually <clears throat> June 2nd. So I signed the contract. June 3rd was my brother's birthday. June 4th, I was um, graduated high school. Mm-hmm. June 8th, I was in Seattle. June 16th, I played my first game. Wow. As a pro. Um, and never had a summer off until 2010. So Damn, from 87 crazy. to 2010, you know, everybody, you know, I see all my friends who play other sports. They, uh, you know, they in Hawaii, they in the Bahamas, they over here in the summer. I get home. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's raining in Seattle. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, but it is what it is. I mean, I got, you know, Christmas, you guys are playing. Christmas, I'm at home mm-hmm. in, in my pajamas and open a present. Right, you know, yeah. So it's the trade-off. It's, it's the trade-off. Um, but the, 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 the downfall is kids are in school, so you can't take them out. Where you guys have summers off and you can go on vacation and things like that. Or at least part of it. Because if you make the playoffs, what is it, the end of June, that just, it's over? Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got one month uh, of, you know, before R&R. school starts. Yeah. And uh, so for us, you know, I'm there February to October. So my kids don't, you know, don't get a chance to, to go on vacation unless it's the wintertime. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. You know, it's a little bit of trade-off. But, a little trade-off. You know, being a, being a baseball player and, like I said, having a dad who played, I understood how to play baseball at an early age. Just like your kids know how to play basketball at an earlier age. So right. what you learned along the way, you're giving them that information when they can handle it. You're not going to give it to them before then. So at age 14, I knew I wanted to be a pro ball player. Mm-hmm. At age 14, defensively, I could have played in the big leagues. Now, offensively, wow. you know, but defensively, you know, you're, I'm going to spring training. The guys are hitting major league pop-ups and fly balls. I'm chasing them down. So defensively, I already knew I could play here. Um, offensively was a different story. Uh, you know, you, you got to learn to go from aluminum bat to wood bat, and that takes some adjustment. Uh, but defensively, I was like, I can do this. Did you eat catfish while you was in Seattle? No, nah, see, I'm allergic to fish. Oh, I was Ooh. about to say, because my, my family got a spot called Catfish Corner in Seattle. On uh, Martin no, Luther my, King and Cherry. Look, I'll go there, but I'm a, I'll get it for the guys. I'm, a, yeah. I'm allergic. <laughs> to, the craziest thing is, is we talk about I can eat uh, shellfish. I can eat shrimp, lobster, crab, but can't eat regular mm-hmm. fish. Yeah, uh, it's, it's the opposite. My mom. Mom, mom did say I was abnormal in certain things. Uh, that was, she said, you are not normal. I'm like, mom, come on. But no, nah, we just, uh, my kids love catfish. Mm-hmm. Um, they usually cook fish and stuff when I'm not home. Uh, they wait, you know, to, for me to get out the house. So my little guys are, he's a red snapper guy. I don't know how. Yeah, I my, love snapper. Redfish is the best fish, actually. I just have there like... I have a, a boat that we go to the Bahamas and we just catch fish and I'm the one sitting in there uh, in the middle and I let my boys, you know, catch fish. I mean, we had one time we caught 200 pounds of mahi-mahi. 200 pounds? Uh, mm. That's yeah. a lot of fish. That's yeah. a lot of fish. Mm-hmm. So you were an all-star selection from 1990 to 2000. 10, 10 straight all-star appearances. What was that like, your first few all-star games and, and getting to play with, you know, obviously the best players in the world and, and you're arguably one of the best? The first couple, I was so nervous that I was like, oh, Lord, I don't even know what I want to do. Uh, um, first one, Chicago, I didn't think I left the hotel room. Everybody's like, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that. I'm like, I ain't going nowhere. I'm just going to sit here and not waste all this energy. Um, I did were the you, home run not, derby, lost that. Were you, tw- were you 20 at the time of your 20. first All-Star yeah. appearance? Yeah, 20. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it was nerve-wracking. Like, you, you know, being a young guy, and, and here's where we talk about the pitfalls, is, you know, people pulling at you left and right and not knowing who to trust. And uh, so, you know, I was like, pulled in this direction, pulled in this direction. And finally, I was like, you know what? I've got to do what I've got to do. And playing baseball was it. But going to the All-Star game, you're like, you're looking around. My first one, I'm like, I don't even belong here. I'm looking at all these guys. These guys that got Bugs Bunny numbers. They hitting 330 at All-Star break. They got 25 jacks. They got 75 rebounds. And I'm over there looking at them like, I'm over here. Okay, I'm hitting 280. 
uh, I got like seven home runs. <laughs> you know, you just don't. And after a while, you start to understand that, uh, oh, I can play with these guys. Mm-hmm. And I'm better than these guys. Right. And I knew that. You know, um, you know, it was an opportunity for, show, for me to show that I can play at a high level and I can play with the best players. If this is the all-star mm-hmm. team, I deserve to be here. So my second year, I got a couple hits. And the third time I was at the all-star game, which was 92, I ended up winning the MVP. From that point on, it was like, oh, you can play. Everybody's going to be looking at you. And I knew it. But again, I've had guys who were molding me to be that guy who made sure that, hey, this is, this is the guy, this is the kid. He's got old school beliefs, but he got new school swag. You know, people mm-hmm. talk about my hat backwards. Well, I only wore my hat backwards because my dad's hair was too big. He had a fro and the hat kept hitting me here. So I turned mm-hmm. it around. I just wanted to wear what my dad wore. I didn't want to be different, but the long pants. George Hendrick started that. But George Hendrick played mid-80s. I came in at the end, early 90s. It was like, okay. Bill Buckner wore the first high tops. Well, then everybody wanted to wear high tops. But it was only cool if somebody that they could relate to wore them. Mm-hmm. That's and, where you came you in. Know, mm-hmm. And I was like the perfect storm. I was a young kid who, you know, not much older than most of the kids out of high school. I mean, in high school, you know, so they could relate to me. So it was easy. You know, I wanted to be different. I wanted to be that guy. I mean, you know, the, the mock turtleneck. Now everybody got mock turtlenecks. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to, you know, the, the, you know, the carbon fiber bodysuit. Nike actually built me one. It was 90 grand Damn. to build me a bodysuit. Yeah. Carbon fiber from the elbow and knees down. Mm. You know, so the I perfect, had, the, yeah. having, having a perfect swing helps. The man, the prettiest swing ever. <laughs> just a little slap hitter, just try to make contact, not to Shit. hurt nobody. <laughs> I tell everybody, I try to enforce as much damage as possible. And that was the thing. But I don't have to throw my helmet. I don't have to break anything. I just got to go out there and play. Right. You know, the hardest thing, you know, people don't understand is, you know, people get mad. And I'm like, you don't have to get mad. You know what happened. Either you do or you don't. You can learn from it. And mm-hmm. we only get four at bats. So if I hit the ball hard, I can't get mad at the guy's trying to make if he makes a great play. Right. I can get mad at me if I swing and miss, and I, you know he fooled me, and I wasn't prepared. I tell everybody I'm more prepared than most people, and they're like, sometimes you don't even care who's pitching. I'm like, because I could care less who's pitching. I know what I ready. need to do. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're ready. You know. Yeah. You know, he has to throw it across the plate, whether it's right-handed or left-handed. You know that it's going to break one direction or another. So you know his strength, you know his weaknesses. You know, he's, his strengths are, you know, if somebody's got a forkball, hits his out pitch, well, he's not going to throw it to you the very first pitch. So I can eliminate that pitch. He's not going to come in and throw his, his out pitch on the first pitch. Now, if he throws it again, I've already seen it. He's going to wait till I get two strikes. That's why they call mm-hmm. it an out pitch. Now, if he got an overpowering fastball, all right, you just got to change your sights to hit it more towards left center than center. It's real simple, but, you know, that way everybody makes it hard, and, and especially now with the launch angle. I'm like a launch angle, so a pop-up is okay and a strikeout is okay. Well, back then, I mean, you guys know in basketball, guys shoot 40 times, his percentage is 10%. Y'all looking at him like he's crazy. Crazy, yeah, right. Yeah, we got to look at you, yeah. 
Yeah, you got to look, you know, and I tell everybody that that look from your peers is more damaging than anybody, what anybody <laughs> can write in a paper. Because, you, right. you know, when you get taken out the game and all your peers do this to you. That, <laughs> you <laughs> that lean up. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That right there. Because then, you know, I tell everybody when you go in that locker room, they know who 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 balling and who ain't. But, right. you know, for that lean, you know, I mean, that right there hurt me more than, you know, what anybody could write in a paper. Absolutely. Or what anybody that's could your, say. Because this is my group. Right. Yep. So, your peers. So, you know, nowadays they tack me on the butt, hey, good job. Uh, yeah, you scored 23, but just shot 75 times. Okay, you carried the ball 150 times and you got 200 yards. So, mm, Mm-mm. You still looking at people? No, that ain't gonna work. Don't add but, up. You know, we sit that there and start laughing because no, we sit. You know, we start laughing because it has changed. But then, what do they say? We want it the old way when you know it's physical basketball or physical baseball or physical football when it's playoff time. You can't have both. In '94, uh, at the age of 24, you would hit 40 home runs through 111 games. You guys strike that season. Did that 61 mark? Um, creeping your mind at all, uh, knowing what kind of pace you're on and, you know, how many more games you had to possibly get it? No, I actually had no, because uh, I don't, I, to me, I never thought of myself as a home run hitter. I thought of myself as a line drive hitter that happens to hit home runs. Um, you know, I just wanted to hit the ball as hard as I could and hit it somewhere. And if it went out, it went out. If it didn't, it didn't. But as long as it touched outfield grass, I was happy. Went through you know, but but you know, but that's what draws you know, in in all sports, that's what draws people are the numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, and and sometimes I tell people numbers lie. Numbers lie all the time. Oh you yeah, know, I've yeah. seen some. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, you know, and people go, no, it doesn't. I go, okay. So you take a guy who is hitting in front of a monster, and you take him to another team. And he don't have that guy hitting behind him. Does his number change? Absolutely. Mm, mm. Look who bat. Look, look who who bats in front of like uh, Albert Pujols when he's St. Louis. Look who bat in front of Barry Bonds. Watch those career numbers when they bat in front compared to where they're at right. in a different order. Seeing um, good pitches, mm-hmm. right? Because they because the pitcher will do this. He'll look at you and then he'll look in that dugout like, oh yeah, let me try to. All right, I, I can't mess around with him. Because he back there, I don't want to give up too, so I'm gonna have to concentrate on him. But I can, because this guy, he can put him put us ahead. But I can't really mess around with this guy. So you look at it, and the same thing in basketball. You know, a guy dribbles down the court. All of a sudden, you know, you got that 12 footer instead of that 25 footer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the the mid range jumper don't even exist no more. But that's the bread and butter. Mm-hmm. You know, you see in the paint, three-point line. But that 7 to 12-foot range, 13, you know, you don't see that anymore. Uh, but a guy can go down there. I mean, Jordan comes down the court. We just use Jordan. He passes off. Somebody else, you know, Kerr hits it. Would Kerr hit that bucket with somebody else? We don't know because it didn't happen. But you look at great players in 
when other people go to somewhere else, how their numbers either drastically drop off. Mm-hmm. And same in football. You know, offensive line, Cowboys. What can you imagine if Barry Sanders was running behind that line that Emmitt Smith had? Mm, man, could you Ooh, really man. imagine? Man, <laughs> man, man, man. That's why I say numbers lie. Because there's other variables that play into it. Yeah, there's that other happened, variables yeah. that play into it. Right. There's other pieces that, that, that add to that. The 94 strike, do you feel like that hurt baseball as a whole? I mean, obviously, attendance was down after that, and it took a while to regain the steam. Anytime that a black eye is upon a sport, it makes it tough. The fans demand more, corporate sponsorships demand more, television demands more. And, uh, so it made it tough because you put a lot of pressure on the guys who, who were leading the charge of that, that new wave going into that. You know, I mean, 95, we still had a lockout. We started the season late. They were mm. talking about doing replacement players. Mm. And uh, so we started, I think, two weeks late. But, yeah, it, 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 it hurts when, when you don't have, you know, your guys out there you know, the household names that people want to see out there. But sometimes you have to do things that you don't want for the, the good of the sport. Um, whether, you know, and people don't understand that. They look at, you know, the dollars of the, guy, the current players and they don't look at, okay, what are they striking for? The guys that are having trouble paying their own bills who played in the 50, who are trying to help the guys that they played in the Negro League help them get mm-hmm. some part of the, some benefits and things like that. But they only look at, because the fan is current. They look right. at what are they looking at right now? What not the, done for me the, the, the Right, not the big picture. Mm-hmm. And it, it's tough because you can't explain that until somebody that they know is in it. As a baseball player trying to explain it, they don't have anything. They don't, they're like, whatever, whatever. You're making millions and millions of dollars to shut up and play. But and if they have somebody inside who knows what's going on and what they're trying to do, then they're like, oh, well, why didn't you say that? And we're like, we can't say everything because it's a negotiation. And it right. makes it tough. I mean, anytime that you have a work stoppage, it, it, it damages your, your, your sport. Mm-hmm. You don't want to see that at all. I mean, you know, the, the coronavirus has, has, has stopped everything. Uh, you know, but it's still, you know, how many people are going to start going to basketball games? How many people want to go to basketball games? You know, so it's it's got a, a lasting effect. And this was nothing that the two sides argued about. It just happened to to yep. be a deadly virus. And, and it's still going to affect how we think, you know, how we go to games and things like that. Absolutely. You were entertainment cons- dollars. Man, it's important. A lot, a lot of missing out, but we got to get it straight before we can move forward. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. I'm not guarding like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from 
crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. AT&T connects and ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Although you call yourself or you were a line drive hitter that happened to hit home runs, you consistently hit a large amount of home runs consistently. I kind of felt like baseball came back to life in the late 90s, early 2000s with the insurgence of the long ball. Um, there was a lot of controversy that kind of swirled in that era with guys' numbers starting to go crazy. Uh, as you being someone who consistently hit and you see these Maguires pop up with 70 and Bonds with, uh, Bonds with 73, Sosa in the 60s, what are your thoughts when people are talking about Sturbridge and you're seeing your peers put up these crazy numbers but you're still you know you're still true to yourself and doing what you consistently do as, as as you see your peers doing what they're doing i didn't worry about it i never you know the the thing that you know like i said i grew up in a household never check somebody else's money never question somebody mm. else's money mm. you know what do they do whatever they do they do you you can't control that you're not you know you're not going to be the biggest person on the team you're not going to be the fastest person on the team you're not going to be the strongest but you just don't let somebody outwork you. That mm -hmm. was my, my attitude. It is I would ride my bike at 2 in the morning. You know, I'd get my 15 miles in at 2 in the morning. Uh, um, you know, nobody needs to see how hard you're working. As long as you know that you're working, that's the most important thing. When I look mm -hmm. in that mirror and go, I gave it all, that's the only thing I can do. Uh, the media, they're going to talk about what they want to talk about, you know, and, and that's the, the downfall of playing, you know, sports is some people have an ax to grind. Some people just wake up on the bad side of the bed and some people are true fans. And, mm -hmm. you know, you know, for, for, for me, did I worry about, nah, mm -mm. I didn't worry about nothing but my teammates and what they thought about me. What happened mm -hmm. on somebody else's dime, that was theirs. What happened on, right. on my field, that's the only thing I cared about. I said, "Pay, they some cheaters, and I don't respect <laughs> cheaters. <laughs> there, you know, this is, it, you make a great, I mean, this is, it, it's still kind of a complex subject. Uh, you know, looking back, now that you're done, looking back on the steroid era of baseball, 
you were in, you know, when it was going on, you're a part of it now, kind of being removed from baseball, obviously. What are your thoughts? Because obviously some guys are having problems getting to the Hall of Fame, that they, 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 they were good players, but their numbers were ballooned uh, once they started doing that. Looking back on all of that and knowing you were kind of in the mix playing during that time, what are your thoughts on it? Well, being a Hall of Fame member, I still don't vote. I don't have any voting rights. That's up to the, the media the, the voting media who vote on the Hall of Fame. And, you know, so I don't get to, to say, yeah, this guy gets in. Yeah, there are certain guys that should be in, um, you know, and, you know, there are certain guys that people go, he was borderline and all of a sudden, but there's guys that were great and then now they they become monsters. Um, but to me, it, it's one of those things that I don't vote, so I don't really have an opinion on, you know, okay. things that I can and can't control. That's the only thing I worry okay. about. Um, but for the most part, you know, um, you know, Gene Kleins uh, was my first hitting coach. He was like, uh, numbers will take care of themselves, and people know who did the right thing and who did the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. um, you just got to keep playing. And he said it to me uh, after he called me. <laughs> so when you're 19 in the big leagues, they, your hitting coach calls you numb nuts all day. Come here, numb nuts. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so he's like, and he still calls me that. I'm like, dude, I'm 50. He's like, I don't care. You're still young. Uh, mm -hmm. He was like, hey, your numbers will, your numbers will do it. You can't mm -hmm. worry about anything else. Go out there and play your game. And right. You know, the media has got uh, their way of doing things. You just have to go out and play. You have your way. And voting on the Hall of Fame, yeah, there's some guys that should be in. There's some guys that, you know, may not ever get in because yeah. of, you know, whether they're questioned or not. If they have a questionable uh, uh, five or six years, but for the most part, I don't look at it as, as a, a knock on those guys. Um, because, you know, I try to look at both sides in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a 25-year-old guy, two kids, and say this vial of steroids is going to get you uh, to be in the big leagues to provide for your family, what are you likely going to do? No, I'm mad at it. If you're if you're on a borderline, if you're the guy that goes from double A, I mean to me, triple A big league, triple A big league, triple A big league. But this hundred dollars mm -hmm. can keep you in a big league. And, and you know, and you know, I got my my aunt and uncles who have to take steroids to 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 live. You know, but it's you know for breathing and everything else. That's asthma and and a couple other things. But you know, so I look at it, try to be like. Okay, but when it comes to, to sports, it's a little different because people think that everything is fair. Everybody wants things to be fair. Anytime, like I said, that you have a black eye in your sport, it becomes, you know, it becomes tough for the guys who are playing. You were the, the, the kid on the scene in Seattle. Uh, you guys had a very talented team over your tenure there. Tell us what it was like when Alex Rodriguez came along because he was someone, you know, they were just excited, uh, you know, for him as they were for you because they saw the potential superstar Hall of Fame talent in a young kid, and, and you guys were together. So what was that like? 
Uh, you know, the first couple of years, Alex was, you know, Alex. Alex was young, trying to mold him to get him there. And, you know, once he played a couple games and started getting comfortable, once he was at short and he knew he was going to be the, the everyday short, uh, shortstop, um, you could see him really settle in. Batman and Robin, that's, you know, mm-hmm. what it was like in our locker room. And I started laughing. And one day I made a comparison. I said, it's like Michael and Scotty. I just hope people realize sooner than later how good this kid can be. And it was just funny because, you know, you could see him as a kid start to develop and get bigger, stronger. And watch him because he batted second and I batted third. So I could just see him, watch, you know, playing. Got a bird's eye view. And, you know, they show a clip of in Baltimore. I mean, we're at home playing Baltimore. And they took my bat, which he used, so they can x-ray it. And so I just, you know, I have, you know, I'm on the on-deck circle. I threw my other bat to him. And he went up and hit, you know, he had a home run with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that year he had over 400 against Baltimore. So they were trying to mess with him. See, baseball, you can, you know, hey, he's doing this, he's doing that, try to get you out of your game plan. But he uh, went up there and hit a home run. And he started laughing. Um. But yeah, he, he, you know, the six years we played together, he was, you know, Alex, you know, what you see is what you get, uh, wanting to, you know, learn the game uh, and study it like everybody else. Do you guys still have a friendship? Do you guys still communicate? We every now and then we get a chance. I mean, you know, him in Miami, you know, traveling mm-hmm. the world, you know, he got J-Lo, uh, you know, <laughs> he traveling all over the place. He doing, you know, uh, uh, I'm more of a homebody uh, you know, try to relax, raise kids, and 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 that's it. But uh, you know, we see each other every now and then. We we'll say hi. You that's know, cool. on certain things. You know, you know, the spring training, your All Star break, uh, and a couple other events that I got to do that I'll, I'll run into them. What was it like after your tenure in Seattle to go back home? Uh, obviously, your first first year with the Reds, you hit 40 home runs. What was it like going back and playing in Cincinnati? It was a little strange at first, wearing the same uniform that my dad wore for so many years. Just an adjustment from city to city. And people don't realize how hard that is. You know, uh, you, know you know where to eat. You know where to go. Even though I grew up there, the last time I was there for an extended period of time, I was yeah, a long time ago. 17 years old. I was 17. Mm-hmm. So 17 to 30, I was in Seattle, basically. So learning how, you know, where to go, what routes to take, uh, um, you know, what restaurants are are good, uh, you know, trying to get a new cell phone. uh, uh, The small things, the things you take for granted. You know, you take those kind of things for granted because you're so accustomed to them. Yeah, so like, you know, hey, got to change my number. Okay. Um, What's funny is like the, the lady I called, I said, hey, I need to get a cell phone. And she like, you want me to give it to you? I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to give you my address and my credit card. She automatically assumed that I just wanted you to give me the phone. I'm like, no, nah, that ain't. <laughs> and uh, for 15 years up until she passed away, we were pretty good friends. I mean, she'd stop over, make sure I was okay. Uh, she was like my mom. You know, she would come in and say, hey, uh, you need anything? I'm like, nah. She was like, I was just in the neighborhood doing my, my cell phone stuff. I figured I'd stop by and say hi, bring over food. Uh, when I got hurt a couple of times, she made the family come over, keep me company. So, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty. The, the, the hard part, like I said, is, you know, the adjustment. People can make the adjustment uh, if you're a superstar. It takes a little longer because there's certain things that you have. And I'm not 
asking for anything different, but I know things are different. Where can you go to hang out and be okay? Mm. You know, if, if you're the 25th man on the team, you can go anywhere. Nobody really knows right. you're playing. Mm-hmm. But if you're the number one guy, you know, you've got to, yeah, you know, so. But the funny thing is, is uh, I ate at the same Benihana's from Benihana's. Yes, from age seven till now. So every time I go to Cincinnati, I always go there. And it's the same one. Can't go wrong with Benihana. Mm. You're going to win there. Walk me through this 24-hour phase. Uh, September 10th, 2001, you're in Chicago playing against the Cubs. And the next day is 9-11. Talk to us what that was like because baseball was the one sport. I always say through tragedy, uh, sports is what's been able to pull us together. Unfortunately, through this, you know, this pandemic, we have no sports. But for 9-11, what was that like, that 24 hours, and then being able to get back to baseball, knowing how bad the world needed it? I just woke up, um, happened to be watching CNN, and I was like, man, that's a hell of a movie. Like, it, like you looking at something, and they were like, uh, live. And then I, you know, I was like, oh, my. Um, you immediately pick up the phone. Uh, I called Melissa, and she was like, hey, this is going on. I said, are you watching this? She goes, yeah. Um, and it was just so real. Like, you're like, And then they said, all games are canceled. And we were like, what? Like, we knew it, like, before we even got on a bus. So, like, the first bus is, like, at 1.30. We knew that, hey, ain't no games being played today. Mm-hmm. We are, you know, and, and it's a scary thing because, you know, we're away from our families. Right. You know, my wife is in, in, in Florida. I'm in Chicago. Uh, you know, we just had a attack on our country. Uh, what do we do now? Um, so we had to sit there for a couple of days. And finally, I was like, Look, I'm about to buy a car and drive back. I'm going to drive back to Cincinnati or I'm going to drive to Florida. Um, And one of my friends, uh, uh, Big Frank, who passed away, it'll be, it'll be 12 years tomorrow. Yeah. He's the one that also drove my car up from Florida. to (laughs) The one you went slumping, the one you had a slump in? Yeah. Yeah. So Big Frank uh, uh, was in Cincinnati. He drove, picked me and Barry Larkin up and drove us back and then, uh, my wife drove up um, from Florida, and I remember opening the back of the, the Suburban. It was packed like she wasn't going back. Uh, <laughs> and all I see is a little little Rottweiler head sticking out the back of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you have a Suburban. She packed it like, we're not going back. Whatever happens, we all going to be together. And I think that's mm-hmm. what, what helps is like when you're with somebody through, you know, whether, you know, pandemics or a terrorist act, when you're with family, you grow and you're, you're better for it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but it was the, the most unnerving probably week and a half that I've ever had because you never, you're not, you don't know what's going on, how many times, you know, is it going to happen again? Because you hear the stories, are they going to do it to a, a, a next time to a sports arena. We are the only ones playing at the time. Uh, um, so it was like one of those things like, what's next? Are they going to hit a baseball, basketball, football? Mm-hmm. You know, but something going, something's going to, you know, so 
the security changed, uh, you know, being able to go from the bus to the plane, that changed. Way now different, way get, different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, I could run all the way to the gate to go see my dad when he came off the plane. I'd be in pajamas mm-hmm. at seven years old going to see dad at the mm-hmm. gate. Now, mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, you need you need an ID. You need an ID at seven years old now. Yeah, <laughs> to, get, <laughs> to get through. <laughs> Look, an ID, at least two forms. Uh, right, but right. The, the other thing is, you know, leaving the ballpark now. You know, you you got TSA that mm-hmm. wands you before you even get on the bus. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's changed a lot. You know. Uh, uh, you know, I know that people complain, you know, but it's a safety for, for the it's, masses. It's, ne- it's needed. Nah. It's much needed. Yeah, not it's just for, needed. you know, you and, and, you know, that's it. You know, people are so worried about themselves all the time that they don't see that, you know, there's other people in this. You know, they don't, unless you're a celebrity, they don't name but one person on that plane. Right. It's if you're a celebrity. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, they name everybody, you know. They don't name everybody. They just name that one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I try to tell people, you know, hey, it's for the good of the, the country. Uh, you know, even now, they here in Florida, they talk about, you know, 25%. They're going to start letting businesses get back. Mm-hmm. But you're still leery about, you know, do you want to, you know, uh, what was it? Nail salons, well, mm-hmm. beauty salons, hair barbershop, a couple restaurants, yeah. and tattoos. I'm like... Okay. Well, I don't visit three of those, so we good right. there. You know, but that food I got to, but you right, know, you gotta have got to, it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but it, it's just a matter of how we how we do things and you know, like I said, going back to to 9/11, it's a scary. It was the scariest time that I had as a pro uh uh because of the uncertainties that go along with it. Mm-hmm. And everybody had pretty much. Mhm. But you know exactly where you are on 9/11, right? Oh, and yeah. You always yeah. gonna remember yeah. that time, right? But there's certain things. But there's certain things in your life that you know. Like I know exactly where I was at when I heard Kobe passed. Right. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, looking at the temperature, the time, and everything else, calling people that were close to him. Like, man, please tell me this ain't true. This, mm-hmm. you know, there's certain things that you never want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And never want to see, and that was one of them. Yeah. Um, 2002 to 2004, pretty injury-ridden time for you. You miss uh, 280 games over three seasons. 2005 to 2007, it looks like you get your swag back. What was it like? Because people don't understand the mental that comes along with as bad as we want to get back out there, but the mental process of being able to recover and then recover to a level where you're coming back and you're back to being successful as you were before. Because sometimes a lot of athletes don't get to regain uh, what they lost from those injuries. My mental focus is probably different. Like I told our trainer who, um, when I tore my hamstring, uh, I was riding a bike and he sat like right here over top of me riding a bike. And I said, look, man, this bike ride could be 45 minutes or it could be four hours. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, look, it is my name on the back of that jersey. It is my career. It may say Cincinnati Reds on the front, but they don't go Cincinnati Red. They look at it and go, oh, that's Ken Griffey Jr. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this workout. But if you stand behind me, it's going to take long. I said, because what you have is a test. 
after each session, here's where we need for you to be at these, at these certain benchmarks. But if you stand behind me, those benchmarks get longer because I'm not doing it. I'm going to sit there and slow play you. The next day he was in the back, he was in his office doing his work and I was doing my work. <laughs> it is my career and I will bust my butt. I don't like people looking over my shoulder. I don't want to be looking over somebody's shoulder. You got to be able to trust me. And I told the, the, the surgeon, I said, look, man, he's going to stand here. We're going to be here all day. He was like, don't stand there. He liked to do it. I like, I get my work in, I get out. Um, and, you know, he, six weeks later, we were able to run. I mean, if you look at it, I played in 95 when I shattered my wrist. I played the playoffs with a plate and yeah. nine screws in it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I amazing, amazing, I, amazing catch by I me, mean, amazing catch, by the way. And I don't, and, and the crazy thing is, is, um, I had this surgery in December so I could make it to spring training wow. to remove the screws and plate. Injuries are part of the game. Um, I've, I've only, I've got three at-bats on a minor league extent. So I went down when I shattered my wrist. I had three at-bats. I flew myself to Minnesota, looked at Lou, said, I'm ready. Lou was like, huh? <laughs> By that time, they couldn't even have the, the doctor. He was like, well, he's already there. He, I guess he's ready. Um, <laughs> any, I've never gone on a rehab stint again because I told him I'm not, I'm not going back to the minor leagues no matter what. The only time y'all going to see me as a, I'm going back to the minor leagues is if I'm coaching or I'm doing something. <laughs> but as a player, I will not put on a minor league uniform. And mm. I promised myself that. And my attitude and my mentality was I'm going to work to get back there. Because like, people don't know, professional rehab is totally different than the mom pa rehab that they, Any, hey, we uh, see uh, They have no idea what real <laughs> rehab is like. No, uh, we go, uh, uh, hey, come see me Tuesday, Thursday. Mm -mm. We'll see you next Tuesday, Thursday. Mm -mm. Around the clock. All right. Uh, you know, I had a, a little bit of a tough time in Cincinnati, uh, going back to that, when I did get hurt is I was visiting, I was at one of Big Frank's softball games. It was, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night. And people are just ragging me on the radio, talk about his ass should have been rehabbing. Well, you tell me what rehab place is open at <laughs> nine or 10 o'clock at night. Right. But people don't understand <laughs> it. They feel that, you know, they feel that they can say whatever they want. But mm. then when an athlete says something back, oh, we the bad guy. No you know? question. And, and that ain't necessarily true is how you approach me is how I'm going to approach you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you come up to me, Respect. hey, man, I like blah, blah, Straight blah, up. you know. But, they, you know, they feel that they can say something, and then all of a sudden, well, he, he was an ass. I'm like, no, dog, you came at me a certain way. Right, right. Uh, 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 but those are the type of things, because I got hurt quite a few times in Cincinnati, it ain't my fault. You know, right. I got hurt on the field trying to make our team better. I rounded third, mm -hmm. I blew out my patella tendon, hamstring, an ankle, where I had my perilineal longness tendon. I don't even know how you pronounce that, but uh, it stabilizes mm -hmm. your foot, you know. Um, I have 80 stitches from my ankle bone to that little, almost through that little bone that hangs out by your pinky toe. I got 80 stitches, they had to sew it together. I've got six titanium screws in my shoulder. I've got three in my tailbone. I just had my other shoulder done, you know, 12 weeks ago. Um, do I complain? Absolutely not. Do I, would I do it all over again? Absolutely, because it's the game that I love to play. 
And you only know one way to play, and that's to play hard. So when it comes right. to getting my work in, it's the same thing. In order for me to get out on the field, I got to put my work in to get out on the field. And people don't see that. They think that, you know, hey, what are you doing at rehab? Well, my rehab starts at 9 o'clock, and then I got till 1, and then I'm when the team goes out on the field, then I rehab Mm-hmm. From seven, un, no seven to nine thirty, ten o'clock, and then I mm-hmm. do it all over again. So yeah. my rehab were at the ballpark. You know, when the team was in town, it was at the ballpark. When the team was out of town, I would go to a rehab facility and work from like eight uh, to four. Full day. Yeah, and then I'd come home and you know watch part of the game, fall asleep. And then get up the next morning and do it again. But when the team was in town, I'd still, you know, nine to one, when, when all the guys got off the bus and stuff like that coming into the ballpark, you know, the trainers got a, you know, they got a job to do with the other guys. And then I would go back when they went out on the field to play the game, I would still be at there at the ballpark doing my second round of therapy. No, it's a grind. Definitely a grind. Yeah. The, 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 the everyday it's, person has no idea. No, it's a lot easier to play the game than actually rehab. Because if I, you uh, know, the worst. rehab is the worst. Yeah, because rehab is not one of those things that, uh, like I said, it, it's one of those things where you like, I, I don't wish this on anybody, and yeah. I had to do it for basically two and a half straight years. Mm. 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 That's tough. No, I remember I'm, those days. Those are tough. Um, so, 2009, you returned to Seattle. Eventually, retire in 2010. Was it important for you to get back? to where you started as a professional or retire? And what was it like realizing, okay, it's time to hang it up? You always want to retire where you started. They gave you your opportunity, um, whether it's good or bad. Uh, um, you know, there's two things happen to that, but you still have to be able to contribute to a team and the team's got to be able to want you. So fortunately for me, I was able to do both. I was still be able to contribute. Being 38, I knew I wasn't going to play every day. You know, but I can help the younger guys in the clubhouse get them ready. How do I how do I approach the game uh, where they needed to see? Because you know, when you have a guy who's done it um, constantly and throw up some numbers, when he go in there to a locker room, you automatically look at him going, "That's him. That's that guy." Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and having a a young coaching staff that Seattle had at the time, they weren't going to be able to do that. And so they brought in Mike Sweeney and myself uh, to, to be able to, to help with the clubhouse situation. And uh, we were able to, to do that. And then about retiring, uh, and to be honest, I just got tired of being lied to. Not so much that I got tired of the team being lied to by a certain individual. I won't mention his name. Uh, but I told him, I said, look, when I become a, a distraction, I'm gone. And they, they knew that. And I always said this. I said, I ain't going to have this big old fanfare. I'm not going to have the press. I'm not going to, I'm going to just get in my car and send a fact talk about it. he gone. Well, when athletes say that and they do it, people have to go up and, you know, they get livid. Like he didn't have this. He didn't, like, like I already told y'all a while ago, I'm going to just mm-hmm. get in my car. I'm going to be gone. Uh, <laughs> And I did. I jumped in my car at like 3 a.m. 
and started driving. I drove from Seattle to Orlando nonstop Damn. by myself. Yo, that's a, how long did that take you? That's a drive. That's all the way across the world. That's a drive, bro. It it took me 43 hours. Damn. And that was it. That was it. You really rode off. That was it. I I called, you know, I called a couple people uh, because I, you know, all my friends and family who, man, I don't want to hear about you retiring on ESPN. Call me. So I called the people that I need to call. Uh, When I got home, um, the assistant uh, uh, GM flew in that day and looked at me. He was like, you know, Roger was like, you're all right. I go, yeah, I'm all right. He goes, you look okay. I go, yeah. And I looked at Melissa and I was like, hey, what's next? She was like, well, we got girls basketball. We're going to be in Chicago. Uh, uh, we got <laughs> Atlanta. <laughs> we got Atlanta, Tennessee, Chicago, and then back to Atlanta. I was like, okay, let's go. And I knew from that point on I was dad. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, I didn't worry about, you know, the baseball part of it. You know? And then a couple of weeks later, um, they relieved the, the whole staff of the, the baseball department. Uh, okay, the manager and his crew. And um, <laughs> they asked me, did I want to come back? I was like, nah, because then people, you know, the, the one thing about athletes is we have to look at it two things, two ways. If we do something... What's the positive? What's the negative? If I were to come back, they would be like, well, he only came back because they because fired the manager. Because of this. And they, right. Yeah. And, yeah. So I, and I was like, you know, so it wasn't a positive. It wouldn't have been a positive spin if I had came back. So I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm going to stay retired, blah, blah, blah. Um, got a couple calls a couple months after that. And they said, hey, we want you to join our front office staff. Here's what we want you to do, X, Y, and Z. We want you to go see these kids in the minor league. We want you to talk to them. I haven't, my phone number has been the same for 12 years. I haven't changed my phone number 12 years because the kids that, that have it want, that need for me to talk to, mm-hmm. they know that right. they got it. If you got my number, there's a reason why you have it. Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, you know, my wife is constantly telling me, hey, you need to get you a new phone number. This thing rings too much. <laughs> too much. And I'll be looking at it going, ooh. Screen time with five thousand minutes or something like that, <laughs> you know. But it is what it is. But it was time. I mean, I, I didn't want to be a distraction. I didn't want everybody just to be able to talk about me. Once you start talking about me and I'm not playing, then I can't have that. Two thousand sixteen, you're in the Baseball Hall of Fame. What was that experience like? You get the call, but it's like one of those slow motion calls. You, you don't really know what to say. You know what I mean? You don't know what to say. And, and I get done with the call, and I just like, whew. then we fly up to New York. And that's a, like a press conference, press conference, press conference. There for two days. Ring the bell, which was cool. Got to ring the New York Stock Exchange bell. You see that on TV. I finally got to do it. We actually get to Hall of Fame on Wednesday. Get there Wednesday night. I'm sitting around all day Thursday. Um, what's funny is Wednesday, there's like a couple hundred people in the hotel. Come Thursday, ain't nobody in the hotel because they booked the hotel. <laughs> so nobody's in the hotel but, you know, the Hall of Famers. So they start coming in. And, and uh, <clears throat> so Friday, I sit down to write my speech. I, only, I started writing Friday. And again, being superstitious, I played in three Hall of Fame games and never walked into the building until I was a Hall of Famer. Hmm. Uh, so I started writing my speech. I gave it to them. They gave it back to me on Saturday. They were like, we, they were getting nervous because I didn't write anything down. 
They were like, you going to write your speech? I was like, yeah, I just, you know, I wanted to be there and, and be able to think about it and have the, uh, uh, the raw emotions uh, uh, about being a Hall of Famer than to be able to be sitting in my office going, okay, so this is the way it is. You know, I was there. I have, uh, uh, my family was there. I had uh, some close friends. So I was able to, to really concentrate and think about it where, you know, me being in the house, you can look at, okay, do I want to talk about this situation? But, you know, I just want to hit certain people in my speech, you know, mom, dad, wife, kids, uh, my agent, uh, Lynn from Nike, and and y'all know Lynn. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, there were certain, um, you know, people that I just wanted to hit uh, and keep it moving. I didn't want it to, to be one of those, you know, long, drawn-out things. Now, the hat backwards part, um, they had to talk me into it. Frank Thomas was like, you better do it. You better do it. I was like, man, I can't do it. He's like, you better do it. And like, I, I'll do it. The feeling that I had was I was overwhelmed because you're nonstop with the interviews from Wednesday, Thursday. And when I finally got to sit down Friday, uh, I was good. Then it was Saturday. I got to play golf, which was a little weird. Like they got the little golf course next to the thing. You And then there's people lined up on the road want to get autographs, and I'm like, uh, let me just drive on this side, let me stay over here. <laughs> right. uh, and if you, you know, and like, you know, the Hall of Fame and, and, you know, for basketball and baseball, it's such a small place, you know, a small city. And so, you, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize how small it was until I like, get, yeah, this is our downtown, where's the closest supermarket about 15, 20 minutes away. I'm like, huh, how y'all get anything here? Mm-hmm. And uh, that small town living, everything. yeah. But it was great. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I was, you know, I was glad it was over because the, you know, seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen, I got to chill. You know, I had no mm-hmm. interviews. I ain't had nothing. I was over there like this. All right, order all the food I wanted. Finally, <laughs> that first day Finally. that work. But you know, it's also like I, you know, I got I brought my dad with me. You know, and you know half of the big red machines, you know, there, they start lying. You know, those stories that y'all hear, you know, even today, you know, if Dr. J walked in there and he started lying about their stories about him and Oscar Robinson and somebody else, you'd be like, man, look, dog, y'all was playing on Nobody eight and a half that. foot. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, it's, but it's funny. You just like, really, but all these guys that I got to grow up watching, I am now looking at them. And in baseball, and I don't know how I work out in basketball, but we got sections. We got the, the, the big boy section. So if you got, you know, four, five hundred, six hundred home runs, you sit at this table. Mm, you got 300 home tall. runs over here. You got, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they were teasing, you know, the guys who have right at 200, they call it the kids section. They'd be over there. This is the y'all section. Y'all get a happy meal. I mean, it, you, it's the funniest egos in the world because they they know they stats and they be firing off they stats to somebody else but you know when you have like like Hank he said his own table Hank and Willie they at their own table hmm. you know that's what we say that's funny thing is that, that, that's that that's that grown folks territory you know the mm-hmm. children should be singing at her <laughs> but then they go uh, you got 600 you sit over there too I'm like uh uh-uh, uh I ain't sitting next to them Mm-mm. yeah cause I don't because those those are like you know, I tell everybody, those are like, that's baseball royalty. And I understand that 
to to people that I am to a certain extent. But I have a different view like everybody else. When they walk into the room, I'm like this. Like my last year, I walked past, I was in San Francisco, and I walked past the, the training room. That's, excuse me, not training room, the clubhouse door. And Willie and McCovey were sitting there. And I tried to sneak by, and Willie goes, oh, excuse me, you got enough home runs, you can sit in this room too. And I mm. was like, and I mm. had that look like, I'm still a kid. Like, you know, I'm like, man, that's, that's Willie Bays and Willie McCovey. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they started laughing because I immediately, uh, uh, when I sat down after I talked to him, went back to the room, I called Barry. And, and Barry said, he started laughing. He goes, I told you they was crazy. Because, you know, and then uh, Barry came in the next day to see me. But uh, it's so funny that, you know, when as kids, you know, there's certain people who walk into a room that y'all watch growing up that they right. just don't seem real. Even though you mm-hmm. may have played against them and, you know, they, they talk to you, you just look at them like, man, he ain't real. He's just there. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that, you know, you know, Hank the same way, you know. Uh, Hank got mad at me last time. I said, he said, because I ain't give him a hug. I said, man, I just hugged you. He was like, oh, that was you? I said, yeah. He was like, oh, <laughs> that was you. That me. was you. <laughs> yeah. Because I, right. I gave him a side hug because he wasn't looking at me. He was in the middle of a conversation. I didn't want to interrupt mm-hmm. him. So I just gave him a little, little hug. Oh, kept okay. going. Again, there's certain people that, you know, you know when they walk in that room, like, them numbers there. And mm. we all know those guys. You know, y'all have them in basketball. If somebody walk in there, y'all just, uh, that's him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There goes that man. Yeah. But I grew up with, like... <laughs> Willie Stargell, uh, Hank Aaron, uh, you know, I would see those guys constantly, but at 10, 11, 12, you have no idea. The, uh, the historical the, yeah, context, the, the, right. Right. And then all of a sudden you get hit upside your head. like, And that's the thing that, I, you know, after that, my dad was like, you got to learn the history of the game that you want to perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's why that's I started studying studying baseball you know I study other sports I you know I could run a high school football team and I could probably get you a a girls basketball team you said girls basketball team well see the girls basketball team they're much more easier than boys boys want to and one somebody all day girls fundamentally sound you know I got a chance to meet you when I played in Orlando Uh, I would always see you at the game know you're a big basketball fan who were some of the teams you were following uh, this year and players that you follow and enjoy watching? LeBron. Uh, you know, I'm a, what's crazy is, is you hear about my man, the Greek freak a lot, you know, being in, in, uh, on the West Coast. You know, Kyrie, uh, waiting to see when Durant gets back. I met Porzingis uh, a couple years ago. So I'm like, you know, so... I look at it as I don't really look at teams. I just see my guys, like, you know, the people that I know mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> and see what they're doing. I mean, that's, you know, the people that I know, and I go from there. But, you know, being that LeBron's on the Lakers, so, I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, here it is. I'm going to watch Milwaukee because you hear a lot about Milwaukee, LeBron, and then uh, uh, <clears throat> New York. But the thing is, you know, you know, the Nets, not the Knicks, because they in a little bit of trouble right now. They can't mm. figure out their front office situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, but, you know, I look at it that way, you know. Um, 
you know, back when we started, you looked at the team. And if your guy left mm -hmm. the team, he would no part. <laughs> you didn't mess with him no more. He ain't on my yeah. team. Right. N now, right. People change you know, teams, follow their players now. It's yeah. more player-driven. Yeah. Yeah. So, Definitely you know, I, I just sit there. Uh, uh, you know, I watch Houston because you, you know, my man left, Harden left, and, and, and Westbrook now joined him after, you know, how did that going to work? CP3, what's going on with that? I mean, you know, I look at it, uh, you know, it is player-driven, but these are the guys that, you know, number one, my kids look at uh, um, so we can have some conversations. So the dialogue, not so much about uh, sports, but what about his game? Um, look what he's doing in the community and, and things like that. You know, I always say, hey, anybody can play the game. What is he doing to better his community? Mm -hmm. Talk about uh, uh, and, and that's it. I mean, I was on the governing board for 20 years. I actually paid to be on that board. Would I do it again? Absolutely. You know, the Boys and Girls Club here, they know, and I'm in Orlando, so, you know, they know they can count on me. They call, hey, can we, you know, we need an auction item, what you want? And there's no question, it's like, what you want? They'd be like, hey, uh, we got a lot of people that want to play golf with you. How many you got? We got five, we got five foursomes that paid the same amount. All right, let's go. And wow. I got no problems doing it. Uh, you know, like all my friends know, you know, y'all got a charity event. Be more than happy to show up, play golf, help y'all out. Appreciate that. Man, thank you. That's what's up. That's, yeah. that's dope. And, and get y'all on some bowling. <clears throat> yeah, I'm ready for that. How you feel about the, today's game compared to back in the uh, 90s, early 2000s? Just like anything else, they've, they've you know, a little bit softened it up. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the big money has come in and, and made sure that these guys are on the field. If I take out my best player, people ain't taking vacations to come see mm -hmm. guys play. You know, back right. then, you know, uh, uh, man. But it's different in baseball because if he takes a day off in baseball, you know, you you might be there. You're going to be there three days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in basketball, you're there one night and gone. So, you know, when you hear load management, we always start looking like, what is load management? Our, right. <laughs> In baseball, we go, uh, yeah, he took a day off. He a little sore. Uh, and plus, you know, he got, you know, we got a day off tomorrow, so we giving him two days. Uh, but, you know, when people look at, you know, the word load management, they get upset. But um, we play 162 games. You know, we're in the town for three days. Um, people have an opportunity. And if you're hurt, they know that you're hurt prior to that. It's not you show up at the arena and uh, but it's hard, but I understand, you know, you want to see your best player. So when a guy is making 36, 30, you know, 40 million, you want him out there. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, butts in them seats is the most important thing. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, um, it, it's tough. I mean, it, it's, it's tough because, you, you know, you want to be able to give the fans everything you have, but you also know that you need your rest. And, and how do you do it? You know, it's that fine line, you know, how do we rest, you know, our, our, our big guys because they're the ones that's driving this, mm -hmm. this, this engine. But, but people also have to have, understand an opportunity that you're going to see a guy who may not normally play that might be become your favorite player. Next, yeah. Who's and, next up? 
Yeah, you know, he might get an opportunity. He might drop 30, be like, I like him. You know, I, I, mentioned, <laughs> yeah, I mentioned to this, you know, my kids all the time, you know, uh, uh, there's a guy called Wally Pip. And, Wally uh, Pip. Uh, yeah, he decided he wanted to take a day off and he didn't play mm. Uh, mm. Uh, because uh, uh, the Iron Horseman said, uh, uh, don't worry about it, I got this. You know, mm. Luke Garrett said, I'm going to play it every day. The rest was history. Yeah, but, you know, and that's the hard part is as athletes, we know we want to go out there every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody knows you could tell when somebody's run down, but you still want to give the the people, you know, if you're a starter, you know that you want to go out there and and, and give it your all. You may need to take a, a breather here and there, but you want to be out there because those people come to see you play. Being a big part of uh, Seattle sports tradition and history, um, with the Sonics obviously leaving, I thought Seattle was a great city. Uh, Jack and I both got a chance to play against the Sonics uh, before they left. Do you have any good stories about uh, Sean Kemp or Gary Payton while you were out there as a, as a player? <laughs> well, I had courtside seats, but I had courtside, like, like I was next to the bench uh, uh, on the baseline. So I always, you know, when they call timeout, I always act like I was Heard in the everything. <laughs> <laughs> thought she was on the team. Yeah, so one day, uh, uh, George happened to look over and look at me, and uh, after the timeout and everybody went out there, he slid by, he said, what were you doing? I said, look, I was just trying to see if I can get me, like, you know, two, three shots up while I was, you know, I go in there. <laughs> and he said, absolutely not. I said, now, you know my daddy scored 20 points against you in high school, so, you know. <laughs> uh, he was like, Oh, you know that? I was like, oh, absolutely. You know I was That's funny. like that. But, uh, you know, it's funny because, like, Gary and, and uh, the one person I tell you I was scared of was X-Man. Xavier McDaniels. Mm. Yeah. A lot of people were scared, was... scared of him. Because <laughs> he just looked mean all the time. But he'd always give me high five, like, yo, man, what's up, bro? I'd be like, uh, yeah, man, all right. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, but you know when when you know when you're in such a small city, and, and I call it a small city, a small group, uh, 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 and these guys, you know, when they want to come to baseball games, we want, you know, like now, you know, you go to different sporting events, and they're like, hey man, I'll leave you this. Come on in, come on in. We got the parking here. We got this. You got mm-hmm. a suite. You know, we got you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, you take care of, back then you took care of everybody that was in your city. Even though they may yeah. have played a different sport, it was yeah. still your city. That was y'all's right. city. Right. Uh, I find that, I don't find that as much nowadays, you know, when, you know, when guys have three, you know, three sports franchises, they don't, they don't reciprocate. The baseball team would go to the football team, the football team. Um, when I got hurt in Cincinnati, I was the very first person to work out at the Bengal Stadium. As a, a po- I mean, like, hey, I'm, I was going on the, the underwater treadmill, and they were like, we, we don't allow anybody over here, but you're the first. I'm like, huh? Weird. Are yeah, we different. all in to, to build, build this city together? It's different. It was just crazy. It was mind-boggling to me that, you know, hey, if there's a piece of equipment that can help, you know, bring awareness to, to, you know, get a guy back, but also bring awareness to my city. I, I got to do it. And it just, it was mind boggling. And 
Now they work together, but before then, they ain't work at all together. It's different times. All right, last question. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Your all-time top five in the NBA. In any order? Any order. You don't have to be an order. All right, we'll go with uh, Michael, Kobe, LeBron, AI. Mm, like that. Mm. And Dr. J. And Dr. J. And Dr. J. Ooh, nice, okay. Nice. Nice. Dr. J. All, all, all respective five. They'll be at that go table. Yeah. All of them will be at that go table. I kind of lied about the order thing. So is Jordan your? Do you, is Jordan the greatest <laughs> player of all time to you? See, here's the thing. I I argue with my 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 friends all the time about this. I don't have a greatest of all time. I have the greatest of his era. Okay. Uh, because. Michael didn't play against all the old greats, and I just feel that you've got to play against those guys. So when they talk about the top 50 best players, I look at it, no, you can have the top 50 of an era. Not so much, because how many home runs would Hank Aaron and Willie Mays hit if they didn't, and I use it in baseball terms, uh, if they didn't get thrown at, if they had mm. the travel that we had, if they had the conditioning that we had. So I yeah. can't, you know... The, Jordan learned something from, you know, Dr. J. Uh, Kobe learned something from, from Michael, right. mm -hmm. you know. <clears throat> so it's a passing of the torch. So I can't say who's better. I mean, basketball was different in every era, and people have to adapt to that, just like you have to adapt in baseball and football. You know, now you can't hit a quarterback below the waist and above the, the shoulder pad. Mm -hmm. Before, you asked Terry Bradshaw that, <laughs> you like, yeah, uh, excuse me, they're taking me to the Right. right. So, <clears throat> so I just look at it as, is he the best at his era? Absolutely. Uh, and because the game has always changed, you know, adaptability and availability are the two biggest things in, in sports. If I can adapt and be available, I can play. But you can't go well, wrong with, but with, you know, saying MJ is <laughs> one. Yeah. You can't argue that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great point, though. That's a great point. Ken, thank you for your time, for man, sitting down with no Jack man. and I today. Thank you. It was an honor thank to you. have you today. No thank problem. you for your I have time. To come back on. Absolutely. That's a wrap. All the smoke. Uh, special episode with Ken Griffey Jr. We appreciate your time. Jack, yeah. great show. Good job, bro. You can catch this on Showtime Basketball YouTube or all platform streaming podcasts. All of them. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. 
Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. Showtime presents The Shy With Love, a special concert event inspired by the original series. Join us as Chicago's very own perform inspiring songs of strength and love. Sunday, 7, 6 central at theshywithlove.com. This life was all I ever wanted. I'm not leaving. Not yet. I was hoping you'd say that. You gotta hit the streets, make some money. People like us must destroy people like him. Buckle up. Get Showtime free at Showtime.com.